Hi friends, welcome back to season two of True Crimes Untold Presents, Tales of a Shockingly Strange Past. I'm your host, Jess Rodenz. This first episode is on the haunting of the Bell Witch. guys. I hope you're all well, happy, and healthy. It's been like two weeks. I miss you guys. What's new? Hopefully lots and lots of great stuff going on for you. So welcome back season two. I'm excited. I hope you are going to be a little different than season one. Um, Of course, there's still going to be some true crime and murder because those things did happen in the past, but lots of like urban legends and myths and witch hunts and just cool things like that, or at least cool to me, hopefully cool to you too, or I don't know why you're here. Anyway, let's get into it. Episode one, The Haunting of the Bell Witch. So unlike many other ghost stories from the early 1800s, this haunting involved real people and real places. In 1804, John Bell and his family settled on 300 acres of land along the Red River, now known as Adams, Tennessee. The Red River was known to be cursed and on sacred land that Native Americans abandoned. The Bells never experienced anything supernatural, and for years the family lived happily on their beautiful patch of land. A decade later, though, in 1817, the disturbances started. Pounding on doors, dogs barking in the distance, slapping on walls, and rattling of chains. One day, John was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal in the middle of one of the corn rows. John was shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. John shot several times at the animal, but it vanished. One of John's sons thought that he saw a turkey on the property. He then realized this bird was way too big to be a turkey. These sightings were the first documented manifestation of the entity. That same evening, the family began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log cabin. John and his sons would run outside to catch whoever was making these noises, but they never found anyone. In the weeks that followed, these mysterious sounds continued and got worse with each night. The Bell children began waking up frightened, telling their parents that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. Again, the family would check for evidence of an animal in the house and did not find anything. 
Then the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor. The Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy Bell, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair, pinch her, and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances escalated to the point that John Bell shared his family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnson, even though John vowed to his family to keep it a secret. Skeptical at first, James and his wife spent the night at the Bell home. Things were quiet at first, but once they retired for the evening, they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had been experiencing. The Johnson's bed covers were ripped off and James was slapped. He jumped out of the bed exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? The rest of the night was peaceful though. The next morning, James explained to the Bells that the culprit was likely an evil spirit, the kind that the Bible talks about. James told John that he wanted to help him and that he would gather other people from the community to help as well. Everyone wanted to come to the Bell home in hopes of hearing or seeing something supernatural. People would gather in the kitchen and try to figure out who or where these things were coming from and why it was happening. They would ask questions and get responses in the form of tapping or scratching on the walls. The entity's voice got louder over time. It started with a low whistle and then a whisper, which then turned into a woman's voice. The first night the spirit spoke, there were 24 people in the kitchen of the Bell home. The spirit told them, I am a person who was once very happy, but have been disturbed and made unhappy. I am a spirit of a person who is buried in the woods nearby, and the grave has been disturbed. My bones disturbed and scattered. I have come to kill John Bell. There There was a disturbance of a grave nearby, but not by John, by one of his sons. The people that worked on the 300-acre property realized that they were working on top of a burial ground, which they believed was a Native American burial ground. History would later prove that they were right. The farmhands let John Bell know, and one of John's sons overheard the conversation. His son and some of his friends went to the burial ground trying to find relics. John's son stumbled across a jawbone and took it back to the home to show his father. John told his son to return the bone to where he found it, but it was too late. A man from the East Coast heard the story about what was happening at the Bell Farm and went to Tennessee to help the family. He claimed to be a witch hunter and could kill a witch with silver bullets. The man stayed with the family for a few days, and while he was there, the spirit was quiet. The Bell family thought the man had stopped the witch and offered to pay him to stay and live at the farm to keep them safe. The man accepted the offer and needed to return home to grab personal items, and then he would be back. 
the man got on his horse to head back home, but his horse was unable to move. No matter how hard the man tried, his horse would not move. Suddenly, a woman's disembodied voice rang out. I can make that horse go. Let me get on behind. The horse got scared and started to run in circles. The man jumped on his horse, and as the horse ran off, the witch hunter was screaming and holding on for dear life. The man never came back. The witch laughed and laughed about how she scared the bell's witch hunter away. She said she stuck the man with brass pins and that he would be spitting them out for months to come. A few students came to stay at the house but didn't hear or see anything. They weren't believing the stories to be true, so the witch spoke to them, telling them all about a professor that they previously had, saying that he would be there with them if he hadn't died three years ago. Everything she was saying to them was true. Another man that stayed at the Bell Farm communicated with his family back home through the witch. His mother demanded that he come home when she realized what was happening. The witch was delivering these messages to the man in his mother's voice. The witch started to get very good at mimicking the voices of the people that lived in the Bell home. James Johnson led the church services at the home, and his voice was the first to be mimicked by the witch. The witch sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Word of the supernatural phenomena soon spread outside the settlement, even to Nashville. Major General Andrew Jackson even became interested in the so-called Bell Witch. Three of John's sons had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. In 1819, Jackson decided to go to the Bell home to investigate the disturbances. As Jackson's entourage, which consisted of several men, well-groomed horses, a large wagon, and a witch hunter that Jackson wanted to bring, approached the Bell property, the wagon jolted to a sudden stop. The men thought that the horses were stuck in a muddy creek bed and unable to pull the wagon. After several minutes of cussing and trying to push the wagon with force, Jackson proclaimed, By the eternal, boys, that must be the Bell Witch. Suddenly, a female voice told Jackson that they could proceed and that she would see them again later that evening. The wagon was then able to move, and they proceeded across the property, up the lane, and to the Bell home. That evening, Jackson told old war stories while his men set up their tents in John and Lucy Bell's yard. After several uneventful hours, the witch hunter pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any evil spirit that it came into contact with. He went on to tell the other men that the reason nothing has happened to them was because whatever had been haunting the bells was scared of his silver bullet. The witch spoke up and said, All right, General, I'm here and I'm ready for business. The witch hunter shot his gun the direction of the voice. 
the witch tempted him to try a second time since the first shot did nothing. Immediately, the man started to scream and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong swift kick to the man's backside from an invisible foot sent him out the front door. He ran from the property screaming, Oh lordy, oh lordy! Angry, the entity spoke up and announced that there was another fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify him the following night. Jackson's men were terrified and begged to leave the Bell Farm. Jackson insisted on staying to find out who the other fraud was. The men went to their tents to sleep. What happened next is unclear, but Jackson and his entourage was spotted in nearby Springfield early the next morning, headed back to Nashville. Some allege that Jackson later proclaimed, I would rather fight the British at New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. One of the slaves that John Bell owned also had an encounter with the witch. His name was Dean and one of the Bell family's first slaves. Dean was married to a woman named Kate who was also kept as a slave on a neighboring property. Dean was known to be a target for the hauntings. He would show up for work bleeding because he had been hit over the head by the witch. Kate made Dean something called a witch ball made with different herbs and her own hair in an attempt to try to keep him safe from the witch. One night, Dean was walking to see Kate and the witch appeared in front of him disguised as a large black dog. She told him that she knew about the witch ball and demanded that he hand it over to her. Dean, afraid of the witch, held out his hand and the ball burst into flames and shot straight into the air. The witch continued to taunt him, not letting him go. Dean pulled out his axe and split the dog's head into two. When he got to Kate, she gave him a different witch ball. Kate consulted with a Native American on what herbs she should put into the new witch ball to make it more protective. Dean ran into the witch again. This time she was a big black dog with two heads. The witch tried to turn Dean into a mule and he was stuck and could not move. Dean then heard a different voice that jokingly said to the witch, we should ride Dean to have breakfast in hell. Dean was able to break free because of the strong love he had inside of him for Kate. Dean would tell anyone who asked about his first-hand experiences with the witch while he lived on the Bell Farm. Betsy, John's daughter, who was already getting the worst physical abuse from the witch, started to have seizures and would go unconscious after struggling to breathe, and then she would come to and it would all happen again. They said these incidents could last up to 40 minutes. John and Lucy would send Betsy away for the night to a friend's house, but the spirit would follow her to the other houses. The spirit told the family that it could follow them wherever they go. Betsy was getting older and the hauntings were still happening. She got engaged to her childhood friend, but the spirit would not let them be happy. The voice followed them all over the farm and said, Please, Betsy Bell, don't marry Joshua Gardner. 
that would surely bring you a life of pain and misery. The spirit would hit her and say horrible things to her in front of Joshua and other people. Betsy called off the engagement, believing that the witch was right about the things that she was saying. Betsy still lived a miserable life, even though she listened to the witch. The entity can continued to express disdain for John Bell, relentlessly vowing to kill him slowly. John always felt like there was a stick lodged into his mouth horizontally, cutting into his cheeks. His tongue would swell. He couldn't leave the house. John had been experiencing episodes of twitching in his face and difficulty swallowing for almost a year. By the fall of 1820, John's declining health had confined him to the house, where the malicious entity continuously removed his shoes when he tried to walk and slapped his face when he recovered from his numerous seizures. Her thrill voice was heard all over the farm, cursing and chastising, Old Jack Bell, the nickname she had given him. John Bell took his last breath on the morning of December 20th, 1820, after slipping into a coma a day earlier. After John's death, his family found a small vial of strange black liquid in the cupboard where John's medicine would usually sit. John Jr. gave their cat a few drops on its tongue. The cat jumped up into the air, rolled over in midair, and was dead when it hit the floor. The entity then exclaimed, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Jr. tossed the vow into the fireplace. It burst into a bright blue flame and shot up the chimney. John Bell's funeral was one of the largest ever held in Robertson County, Tennessee. As the crowd of mourners began leaving the graveyard, the bell witch laughed and sang a song about a bottle of brandy. She did not stop singing until the last person left the graveyard. Before John died, Lucy got very sick and she was bedridden. The doctor thought that she wasn't going to make it. The voice of the spirit was always with Lucy when she was sick, and if she needed something, the spirit would let other people know in the house. One day Lucy was laying in bed, unable to eat for days, she had a few visitors at the home. They noticed that something was falling from the ceiling and it was hazelnuts. Then grapes started to fall, and the spirit told Lucy to eat, and she was able to. A few days later, Lucy was cured. The entity's presence was almost non-existent after John Bell's demise as though it had fulfilled its purpose. In April 1821, the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy Bell, and told her that it was leaving, but it would be back in seven years. The entity returned in 1828, as promised. Most of the returned visit centered on John Bell Jr., with whom the entity discussed the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a major spiritual reawakening. The entity gave her predictions for the world. She accurately predicted the Civil War, World, world War I and World War II, the Great Depre Depression, and other major events. 
She then warned John Jr. that the world will end in great fire. She bade farewell after three weeks, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in 107 years. Did the Bell Witch ever return in 1935, 107 years later, as promised? Some say she did not return, and if she did, they were not aware of it. But many say she never left the Bell Farm to begin with. People still say that strange phenomena happen in that area to this day. The faint sounds of people talking and children playing can sometimes be heard. It's not uncommon to see candlelights dance through the dark fields at night. Photography is especially difficult. Some pictures taken in the area show mist, orbs of light, and human-like figures who were not present when the photos were taken. Many people have tried to solve the mystery of the Bell Witch. During the Bell family's torment 200 years ago, the voice claimed to be different people and would change often. The voice once claimed that it was Kate Batts, a nearby neighbor, and it was later found out that she was a relative of the Bell family. Kate and John once had a dispute over land, and Kate cursed John because of it. Kate denied any involvement in the haunting, but people believed that it was her. Most researchers agree that something had to have caused the incidents at Red River in the early 1800s that gave rise to the Bell Witch legend. This haunting became known as America's greatest ghost story. What do you guys think? I mean, it has to be true. There's just too many encounters by too many people, you know, quotes from too many people. So I believe it, but I believe this kind of stuff. So oh, it's creepy though. I'll post a picture of the farm, of the farmhouse, of the property, and it's just a creepy area in general. Um, obviously in the beginning of the story, I said people thought that there were Native American burial grounds and that's just a no-no. Like you do not mess or disturb with burial grounds. So to even have your house near one, that's why it's so believable because again, you just don't, just don't live by a burial ground period. I know it's hard to know if you're even around one, but I don't know. It's, it's scary. So But yeah, thank you guys for tuning in season two. Yes, I'm excited. I will see you guys next Sunday. Until then, you can find me on Spotify. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at True Crimes Untold Podcast. Tales of a shockingly strange past. I will see you guys next weekend. Bye.